This episode of the University of Pleasure is brought to you by Choke Coffee. That's right, University of Pleasure fans. This is our first official sponsor, and we are thrilled to be partnering with Choke Coffee. Now, you're asking yourselves, Choke, this is a sex podcast. What are we talking about here? Well, it's not the kind of choke that you would think we would be talking about in the University of Pleasure. It actually has to do with jujitsu. And I am sure they actually make those sounds. This is fuel for grappling, folks. And I happen to be an expert on jujitsu. Why, you ask? Because I took three years of Olympic karate in the elementary school days. And of course, I watched the UFC. So I am one step from a ninja. Nobody challenge me, especially after I have a cup of hot choke coffee. So check out chokecoffeeco.com. Again, that website is chokecoffeeco.com for all things jujitsu choke coffee. Clinical disclaimer. This podcast is focused on education and entertainment. While we love to help and teach, it is not meant to be used as a replacement for clinical services. If you are experiencing significant relationship issues or major concerns in your sexual, physical, or mental health, please seek the services of a professional provider near you. Welcome to the University of Pleasure. Where we have sexual conversation to help build a happier nation. I'm Dr. Tara Jansen, licensed psychologist and certified sex therapist. And I'm Jeremiah James, and I'm just a guy who likes talking about sex. Doc, I'm not high today. I got all the opioids out of my system. I feel grateful for that. And frankly, this all feels a little more ethical to me, if I'm being honest. Does it feel more ethical to you? I don't know. Like last summer, I was like, I don't feel like Jeremiah can consent to any of this, but (laughs) this is, so it is of concern. I got to be honest. I got some of the best feedback I've ever gotten from our fans from that episode. So I don't know. Maybe we should be making a habit of this. I don't think so. Oh boy, and we're back. The non-opioid addicted Jeremiah James is here to talk to everybody at the University of Pleasure. Our millions of fans all over the world. Doc, it's good to see you. I know it's been summer. We had a little bit of a hiatus. How's your head feeling? Are you feeling a little bit better? Not getting the headaches? It's all right. Getting, yeah? It's all right. 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 How's your hand? How's My your hand, hand Jeremiah? My hand is derp, Doc. It is derp. They put this hard cast on me, and I got these pins sticking out of my wrist, and every time I move it weird, I can feel the pins move and then push against the cast. It sucks. It, I don't like it, yeah. but I know I'm on the road to recovery. And you know me. I'm nothing if not positive. And I'm That's a, true. I'm a forward-thinking, and, positive guy. And also, if I may, you no longer have a mustache, which is Do you feel better? a real treat. Do you feel better about that? No stash? <laughs> No, I just we, noticed. I just noticed that that is no longer a part of you. I did. I went and told my wife when I was no longer, I'm not going to need the mustache anymore because I'm not doing the other show anymore, right? So I went to my wife and I said, I'm going to have to take something out of our sexual buffet. And she was like, what are you talking about? I was like, my flavor saver, my little That's French horrible. tickler. We're going to take yeah. it out. It's going to get shaved down. And she just, of course, as a wife is so supportive, rolled her eyes and exited the room. But that's not the point. I no longer have the stash. 
and everybody seems to be much happier for it. So you're welcome. Don't, don't worry. I'm not trying to shade a mustache. Some people really pull it off well. And I'm not saying you did it wait, wait. well. I just don't feel like you didn't seem comfortable in the mustache. And it was an energy I could feel. Well, you know, when somebody leads with some people can pull off a mustache well, it doesn't <laughs> help my positive ownership. energy and like, owning it. I'm not going to lie. That was rude. And I shouldn't have said it that way. <laughs> However, I think like, you know, you can feel when someone's like, this mustache is me. I am this mustache. You have more of a, I'm fighting internally with the experience of this mustache. And Maybe it's just, just because I felt the energy you were putting out there and that you didn't like looking at my beautiful face with the mustache and it made me insecure. Did you ever think about that? Perhaps. Perhaps. perhaps you know, perhaps. perhaps. Yeah. I love that. It's just perhaps. Silence. <laughs> well, if I, if I made you feel additionally insecure about your mustache, I apologize. It doesn't matter. I'm fine. And I don't <laughs> have it anymore. And now I'm back to the old school five o'clock shadow for all of our millions of University of Pleasure fans who remember our first photo shoots that were a hoot, by the way. The first time we did a photo shoot together because it was a little bit on, off the cuff. And, uh, you know, but I was a five o'clock shadow guy. So now I look more like that guy again. Right. Just younger. Yeah. That's what I'm going with because it makes me feel good. Anyway, announcements about announcements. Don't forget to check out The Amy Book. It's out there. Don't forget to check out all of our social media. Like, share, and subscribe when you see us out there. Hit us up. DM us. Let us know if there's something we should be talking about. And uh, we would love you know, good sex stories, bad sex stories. We're open to all things here at the University of Pleasure. And, of course, the doc and I will riff on it. And I will give you personal Jeremiah James advice which I know everybody's anxious for often. So here we are. We have something good to talk about today. And by good, I mean absolutely fucking horrible because we've all been there. <laughs> it's, not, it's not horrible. It's hard. Harder, it's fucking harder. horrible. Like this is horrible. <laughs> it's horrible. Okay. This is like but the it's worst. Real, you know, like it's real life. It's real life. Yeah, but real life can be fucking terrible. And this is kind of terrible. It's true. Okay. I guess so, that's my point. This is more of a classic episode, so we're going to dive right in here. We're not going to mix, uh, messing around. I, I, I don't even know what I was going to say there, but we're not going to do whatever it was I think I was going to say that came out as gibberish. So, here we go. The Heartbreak Headache. Surviving the Mindfuck of Lost Love. Wah, wah, wah. Jesus. <laughs> Jesus. I mean, we're recording this one at the end of the day. And I've had a long day, and I was ready to be like, what are we doing today? It's going to be wah, wah. Okay, let's talk about sadness and the thing that always <laughs> makes everybody miserable, which is a heartbreak. Well, you know, we're here to help. Yes, right? we are here to help. And we're here to help. And these are like real topics that, I mean, separately, it's interesting if you look at like listens some of our like what you describe as our more depressing episodes actually end up getting the most listens which well is i can't i can't say anything about people's taste okay i like my <laughs> I don't think it's about episodes taste. are about i don't think it's me. about taste it might be about a hierarchy of needs right it might feel more imperative to get support on the things that are like really stressing people out versus you know jeremiah sex oh, tech yeah, corner is that what you were going to say blah 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 huh? you were going to say that my i, I don't even want to go down this road because i felt well, like you no, were going to say that like really, what i was gonna say if you're really struggling right and like let's say you got like 10 new sex positions but you're really struggling and it's like dealing with depression 
you're probably going to go, well, this one seems more imperative right now. So let me go ahead and All lean right, on. Fair. Let's dive in. Let's get to the sadness and uh, let's talk about it and cure everyone that is listening. Yeah. Well, to be fair, one of the reasons, I don't think curing, <laughs> curing everyone that's listening. Um, I don't think that's what well, we're here to do. I'm but... just, uh, you know, that's my goal. I mean, it's always good to have goals. I shoot for the stars and I land on the moon dock. And we can have different goals. Um, <laughs> I, <laughs> I think one of the reasons that I'm doing, like I realized the other day, I was like, we have not really done an episode on this. We've done an episode on breakups, but heartbreak is its own sort of thing, right? This is because true. I agree. This is about lost love, right? So lost love, it can be somebody you were with or someone you were hoping to be with. Truth. Right? Like it's it's not necessarily like we can feel heartbreak sometimes when we have something and lose something, but we can also feel heartbreak when there's the idea or the hope for something that mm-hmm. we don't get. Mm-hmm. And we really haven't talked about it and you are right it is the worst and it's not fun and it feels and we've all been there or most of us at least unless you've been incredibly fortunate have been there in lucky be more of the word yeah fortunate lucky uh because it's just kind of a part of life but the reality is like unrequited love is the worst and it really messes with your head agreed and that's why there's like poetry and sonnets and plays and you know what i mean songs it's it's like inspiring for art because it's such a painful difficult experience but often if we're being honest a growth experience most people learn a lot about themselves in that process i totally agree with that i I really do doc because you know when you think you got your whole life lined up and this is the person you're going to be with and all this other stuff and you you kind of build this all up in your mind and then it doesn't work out that way and it's a lost love scenario you do learn a lot by yourself from being in the doldrums, you know, and then crawling back out and realizing, you know, that uh, it will get better and and that it's going to be okay. And, you you know, that old adage of, you know, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Well, yeah, I mean, I think to a certain degree, it's hard to believe um, in our own strength if it's never been tested, right? right? So if we test our strength in certain ways, we are able in hindsight to like, look back and to go, uh, yeah, I mean, I believe in my capacity, right? And like, then again, in the next relationship after that, we're like, oof, well, I know I can get through it. I don't want to, <laughs> but, uh-huh. but I know yeah, I can, yeah, yeah. right? Like it, it, it helps with resilience building. Now I say that, and I would also say that may be one of the platitudes someone deep in heartbreak doesn't want to hear. Don't worry, it's going to make you stronger. They may want to punch you in the face. Yeah, well, probably a lot of people want to punch me in the face. And I understand I understand. Well, not you specifically. I think it's just a piece of No, but I mean me specifically as well. I do there are a lot of people who want to punch me in the face. And that's okay. I'm open to it. <laughs> it's I understand. I can be a, a lot and it's all right. So I'm sorry for those listeners out there that got that impulse from what I said. I apologize. I am humble enough to know. There's truth in it. And I'm humble enough to know when I might have said something that may have uh, ruffled some feathers. So Right. Well, I don't know that that one necessarily ruffles the feathers when someone's, I think that's more when someone's actively have a breaking heart. You know, well, I think then why are you saying it and making me feel bad? I'm not. I'm just more saying, like, this is a separate piece, Ugh. right? Like, as an aside, right? Have you ever been in the midst of heartbreak and somebody's like, don't, like, maybe they're trying to, like, make you feel better. And sometimes we just, like, are scrambling for ways to make people feel better. And we end up giving people kind of platitudes, like, don't worry, yes. what kills you makes you stronger. And then you're like, thanks. Thanks <laughs> like, for that. Thanks for that. 
Thanks. Thanks. Right. It ends up being like great sentiment, but it doesn't really help. And that's not to say like people are doing that in any kind of malicious way. It's just sort of a, you know, something to keep in mind. That's sort of a separate point. Um, The other reason I really wanted to talk about heartbreak is like, it is actually one of the most common reasons that people present for therapy in my experience. Really? Like a lot of people, there's a lot of reasons people come to therapy, but a common reason that somebody might begin therapy is to kind of quote unquote, get over someone. And they're noticing that they're really struggling doing that in some kind of way, or they feel like they're stuck or kind of hanging on to sort of a heartbreak experience in certain ways. So it's also just a really common thing that might bring people into therapy. And so I was just thinking about it the other day and was like, wow, I don't really know that we've ever spent much time on it, but it is a very common point yes. of distress yes. for many people. And here we are. Um, Yeah. So, you know, as we described, heartbreak is, it's a normative life experience, right? Most people have experienced it in some way, shape or form, not everyone, but Sometimes what we, you know, there are different frameworks and we can look at heartbreak through different frameworks. And I'm not saying mine is the right framework, but like I often think of heartbreak as it's really a form of grief, right? Because grief is often the reaction to loss. Well, it's a loss. Yeah, it's a loss, right? Yeah. And again, it can be the loss over something we had that was literally we felt like was ours or the loss of an idea of something, right? Or the potential of something. And so I think that both of them are legitimate forms of loss and both can both can create feelings of grief. I say that because sometimes let's say somebody is loving somebody that really has never engaged in them with them, right? Or wanted to be with them. Sometimes like from a sociocultural perspective, like we think about it in like TV and movie and film, we can kind of, and I'm not trying to be overly strong in my language, but we kind of can like, Treat that as like pathetic. True. In certain ways. True. You am being fair when I say that? Yeah, I think you're totally being fair. I totally agree. Right. And that's tough <laughs> because then someone's both having a breaking heart and also feeling really ashamed. Right. For being time. in that situation. Oh, yeah. Right. So it's like, a you know, and, and sometimes we kind of delegitimize that. But the reality is like we can't sometimes always help what we attach to or the things that we find ourselves wanting. And lots of people have fallen in love with someone they can't have. Perhaps that person has another partner or perhaps that person is just disinterested. You know, like people know, like I've had people like, I'm in love with my coworker, they're married. I can't be you with know, them. You know, that's so, <laughs> you know, I gotta be honest with you. I, 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 as Jeremiah James, have never experienced that. I have never fallen in love with somebody from afar or somebody that I just saw every day and was like, oh, my God, I'm in love with this person. I'm just in love with this person. And and I know it's a real thing. I'm not saying it's not a real thing. and I'm not trying to say that it's not a real thing. I'm just saying I've never experienced it. And but I can only imagine like a a sensibility of shame that would come from that because you're kind of like ashamed that you fell for somebody who's already married and in love with somebody else. And, you know. If or it was just like, disinterested. Or just, just disinterested. Yeah, of course. I just, I, that, that's a very interesting concept to me. Teach yeah, me more, Doc. A, yeah, well, it's a specific type of heartbreak. I mean, I think that the it's also on a continuum, right? Like, you know, we say love like it like has this like uniform definition. It doesn't, right? Like, you know, you can think about like adolescent love, right? When people talk about adolescent love, like when they're like, you know, like, 14, 15, 16, that type of love is maybe going to look, and they, like, I don't 
don't know. Do you ever remember? Like, did you have like crush on anybody? Oh man! Like oh doc! Yes! Oh yes! There was many. There were many <laughs> loves of my time when I was young. Well, they probably felt real, right? Like at the time, it they felt were. Real. Listen, let me tell you something. They were one hundred percent real. Okay, I didn't, they didn't feel real. Yeah. They were real. I was in love. I was ready no. to get married at thirteen to KT Olson. I was. We were going to get married and and live our lives, and it was as real as me loving my wife to this day. Because man, you, you know, you don't know no better when you're that little kid. You know, and I was like, yeah. that's it. I'm going to buy her a car. Like, I had thoughts of, like, what kind of car I was going to buy her. <laughs> you know, and for a little while, she liked me, too. You know, and it was a really great thing, and it was very passionate from the aspects of in Doc Man. When I tell you passionate, passionate, 13-year-old hand-holding, like, you've never experienced. Like, literally, like, out of control, that touch of, like, we're sitting there watching a movie at a friend's house and holding hands. I was like... Doesn't get any better than this. Clearly, I wasn't a smart kid, but that's not the point because we all that know is, how hardcore it got. It gets so much better than handholding, folks. So I'm just <laughs> well, saying. also, I don't separately. I don't think that that didn't make you a smart kid. I think what it meant was that everything's relative to the experience we've had, right? Like if you have no experience, you have nothing to compare it to. So that feels big, it right? Was big. Those emotions feel big, epic, and. Yeah. And I do think that sometimes, again, like if there's like an unrequited love, like somebody that like they've never like actually been in a relationship with, like, I think it can sort of be viewed through this lens of like immaturity in certain yes, ways. Yes. And, like, why are you so heartbroken? You were never even with this person. But it's all about, you know, that that type of loss still is a real loss that that person is experiencing totally internally. True. Totally true. And can be quite distressing. Yes. Um, so anyway, there are sort of just some some common themes and struggles with heartbreak that people might come in reporting right mm-hmm. the, and i think i don't some of these i don't know that they're going to be a particular surprise but it's kind of like what what are some things that might be yep these are things people tend to struggle with first one obsessing sure <laughs> yeah when we're going through heartbreak what's What's something we tend to do? We tend to be more obsessive or maybe we perseverate. So perseverating is kind of like spinning on something. Say that word again. Like What is that? Perseveration. Perseveration? Like, you know, if you ever make that up, it sounds like you made that up. I did not make that up. Perseveration. That's a that's a thing. It's often an anxiety. It's often an anxiety symptom. Perseveration just means that you're kind of spinning over and over. Use it in a sentence. Space. Um. Uh, Jeremiah made it up. Jared, listen to me. Jeremiah (laughs) was perseverating on his lack of Instagram followers last week. (laughs) Did I tell you that? (laughs) No. Just right. If you're like spinning on a like, I don't know that you actually did, right? But like, let's say hypothetically, are you you watching me? Like, is there a camera in my house? <laughs> All right, continue, uh, continue. I okay. believe you now. Fine, continue. So sometimes. Yes, like, we obsess. We definitely obsess right. and think in circles, perseveration. Yeah, and, uh, and something that I would say is that's just like true. Like, why do we obsess? Like, it's just our mind's way of like trying to make sense of things, right? Sure. Like, our mind likes resolution and emotions don't often make sense, right? So when we're having heightened emotion about something, our mind's like, I'll help you out. Right. Let's keep grinding on this problem over and over and over again. But it can be incredibly distressing. And unfortunately, social media has kind of done us a real disservice on this one because it's made it 
much easier to keep obsessing. Sure. Once we've had our heart broken. Of course, because then you start watching. What are they doing? Where are they going? Who are they hanging out with? Yeah, of course. Yeah. I got to tell you right now, I could have never, never on some of my biggest and most upsetting, heartbreaking moments of life. I'm so grateful that I'm old enough to have had those things happen before social media, because with social media, even your old pal Jeremiah James would be like, where's she going? Who is she talking to? Why is she? She seems really happy with that person over there. Is it him? Is it not me? What is that? You know, and so I can understand, Doc, that that makes your job a lot harder. Well, yeah, because it also just like social media only gives us fragments of things. So then we like create these whole storylines too, right? Like, look, they're smiling with an ice cream cone. Look how happy they are. They're maniacally happy without us. You know, (laughs) and it's just like we can like create these whole storylines on these like fragments and pieces. And it's like just enough to like make the brain wonder, but not enough to actually give any resolution or like sense of closure. So that is something that often can like amplify it. And I do think that that's legitimately like made it harder at times in certain ways, Um, which is separately why taking social media breaks during heartbreak can be a really good idea, which I know is not, I'm not the first person to say that, but I will reiterate. I think I think it's a good reiteration there, Doug. I think it should be out there. You know, you should definitely, definitely take a break. Try not to look because you can just go down rabbit holes and it can be, you know, really not there's very the, beneficial there's to your mental health. Yeah, I think there's, I get why people do it. I'm not judging it, right? Like there is an illusion of control in it, right? Like if I pay attention and watch what this person is doing, then somehow, you know, they can, I, I can, I'll be protected in that, right? Like I'll know, I'll know what's going on, right? And so it creates this sort of illusion of control, but in reality, it often makes us feel more out of control. Right. Um, anyway, what's another common symptom or struggle of heartbreak? I would call it over-personalization or devaluation. So right. basically- Start with the first one, because I was a little confused there. The second one I get, first one I was like, I don't know what you're talking about. Over-personalization, right? Or devaluation, sort of like, uh, what's so messed up with me that this person doesn't want me, right? What's wrong with me, right? We often in heartbreak, not always, but we can find ourselves like scanning and scanning ourselves for faults. And don't get me wrong. I'm not saying like, let's say it was a breakup. I'm not saying like post-breakup, it's not useful to like do a little (laughs) self-reflection to be like, huh, I wonder what contributed to that. Right. Were there things I was doing or not doing? Let me look at me and my own behavior, which, right. sure, great, but everything in measure, right? That is uniquely different than, and, and again, something that many of us will find ourselves doing during heartbreak, which is like, why, what's wrong with me? Like, what, what is like broken about me? What's, you know, deeply wrong with me that this person didn't want me? And I, I say this because one, that's just a really common reaction to having your heart broken. Um, do you have you ever done that, Chairman? Oh. I know you have a very solid sense of self-esteem, but ever struggle with yes, that? Yes, actually, I did. I mean, in, in all honesty, yes. And I know it's shocking for our fans because I do have such incredibly powerful self-esteem. But I was with somebody, and this is totally a true story. And she ended up uh, cheating on me with another guy, and that was before I understood things about open relationships. It was a different time. I was much younger. And, you know, that was like if you cheated on somebody, like you just – it was the worst and you were – everything was horrible. And, and when it happened, she also was quite mean about it and, and really wanted to, like, hammer home, like, why she physically cheated with this other guy and all this other stuff. And, 
And it really did send me on a spiral of like, am I not a good enough lover? Am I not a, a handsome enough man? All these things that, you know, I had never questioned in my life, not because I'm so beautiful or because I'm the greatest lover of all time. I mean, I'm close, but that's not the point of the story. The point is that I, at the time, had never really had that shaken you know, and I think a lot of us, and you tell me if I'm wrong here, Doc, but a lot of us, you know, when you live in a world and you've never had your heart broken or somebody hurt you in that way, you don't really understand how it can make you really question those things about yourself. Yeah, like, it upsets our sense of self. Yeah. And that's, that's what, we, that was my story. That's it. Yeah. No, I mean, I think that, thank you for that. And I, I think that there's a lot of truth in like, you know, when, especially like, you know, I, don't, I think it always does, but like, especially like a first big heartbreak, if you've never really experienced one, it's like, oh, someone doesn't want me. <laughs> like, it yeah. Just, like yeah. it really upsets our sense of self. And so it's understandable that we do it. And again, our mind's just always trying to make sense of stuff. So it's looking for the reason and it's looking for the cause. But I think part of the struggle is like, there are so many reasons that people aren't interested or choose to like not be in a relationship with someone. They're not about who you intrinsically are as a person, right? Like you've got compat. Sometimes there are compatibility issues. Sometimes right. that person really doesn't. They're not in a readiness place for it. They don't really know what they want. Yeah, so and they I know don't... that comes into the thing, Doc, of like it's not you, it's me. But that's also real. It is. Re- I've been in that situation. Yeah, I've been in the situation. Where I was dating somebody, wonderful woman, Doc, wonderful woman. But I just wasn't in it to win it, you know, like I just wasn't in any. It wouldn't have mattered if it was her or anyone else. I just wasn't in a place where I was ready to be that fully involved and all that. stuff. it really was like, you know, it really was just I wasn't there in that in that part of my life to be in a relationship. You know, so sometimes that's real, too. Right. Yeah. And, you know, like. I think that romantic disinterest doesn't need to mean that one person or the other person is deeply broken, right? right. Like even that phrase that you just used, right? I'm not trying to criticize it, but that phrase is a cultural phrase. It's not you, it's me. And that phrase kind of like makes me a little nuts because it's like, why does it need to be either one of you? <laughs> like, oh, that's a, I, I've never, hang on, hang on again a second. Hang on a second. I'm feeling a new t-shirt coming on here. Okay. I don't, I've never thought about it that way, doc. So why does it have to be either of us? That's I like. So can we expand on that for a hot second? Can you like sometimes it just is dynamic, right? Like the person is like, I I'm not ready for this, or I realized that I had other interests, or I realized there's a compatibility between what issue between what you want and I want, and it's not like it's you, you're messed up, or it's me, I'm messed up. Like don't get me wrong, sometimes someone is really having some legit real struggles and even then it's still not like them like who they are it's maybe particular struggles that they might be having but I think that this whole concept of like it's not you it's me and those kind of things what it does is it and this is another common struggle that we have in breakups is we find ourselves really vacillating between black and white stances right so like are they broken or an I or am I broken and this is not and I'm not trying to be like the internet's terrible you know there's usefulness <laughs> in it there's usefulness in social media however <laughs> I don't think that this is something that like social media or the internet is really helping with I mean just because like so if you think of like current cultural narratives right now there's there does seem to be a trend where well, this is more of the media trend, but like 
historically when we get broken up with we can question our lovability right but like right now like i think we can struggle with this black and white of like is it that i'm not lovable or they're a narcissist right? <laughs> <laughs> so do you know what i mean yes. and it, do you feel aware of the sort of cultural oh yeah 100 100 percent. right and to be fair some people do have narcissism and yes. struggle with narcissism this is truth that's real right that's real so some of you listening are like i am positive my heck that might be true right but not everyone that chooses not to be with someone and breaks up with them is a narcissist, right? And there's sort of, and I just use that one as an example, but like there are these like black and white where, well, if I'm not, if there's, if it's not me, and like a lot of times friends are like, it's totally not you, right? And like, if it's not me, then what's broken about that? What's their pathologies? What are their, like we do a lot of, I work in mental health, there's a lot of armchair diagnosing what are their diagnoses oh yeah like, oh please what's... are you kidding me all the time and even people who have no you know <laughs> you know how many i mean I, I don't okay let me start again i'm not trying to laugh okay i don't mean to laugh i'm just saying that there are a lot of people that i have known uh you know that are like my ex was a narcissist and i looked it up on the internet and he is a hundred percent the definition and then another person i i looked it up in cosmo magazine and i saw that it specifically that it was like we do a lot of that too and is that just because we try to justify why you know something happened the way it happens doc like where does that come from that we just you know or is it just a cultural thing now yeah and to be fair i do think narcissism is having a moment i want to say that out loud meaning like there's just more awareness of it and i do want to be fair right like because some people do legitimately struggle with narcissism, right? So, like, there are maybe some people listening to this, they're right. Sure, <laughs> like, sure. They're accurate in their sort of assessment, or, or they might be accurate of their assessment of that. And they, there might be a lot of legitimacy. But I also think really more of my point is, like, it doesn't need to be. It's less about, like, what diagnoses your ex may or may not have it's more about like this idea that like i think when we're trying to understand things we do sometimes our minds like to go into like all or nothing sort of frameworks right like is it me or is it you and if it's like well it's not i'm figuring out maybe i'm doing my own work and i'm figuring out it's not me if if the paradigm we have culturally is then it must be you. Well, then it puts us all in a position to suddenly be like, well, now I guess I have to figure out what's deeply broken about my ex, mm -hmm. which also mm -hmm. doesn't, if I'm being honest, sometimes that might be useful to someone's healing, right? Like sometimes yeah. understanding problematic behaviors of because people, let's be real. Some people, I want to be very clear. Some people do find themselves in like emotionally or physically like abusive relationships. And that's accurate, right? And I so I don't want to like discredit or discount. No, no, no. I don't think we're discrediting. Very anything. real experience. No, no, absolutely. Have. I agree with you. You're right. So we're I want to be very clear. I don't want to discredit those account uh like don't want to discredit those experiences in any way. I'm more talking about like if we create a cultural paradigm that even when there isn't abuse going on, right? It's more around like someone just didn't love me back. Right. Right. That it doesn't there's two extremes. It doesn't need to mean either you're unlovable or they're pathological. Truth. Right. Truth. Doc. Like and that and that, you know, like there's all sorts of complex scenarios, like I said, in which abuse can happen. And then there are like legitimate things that are going on. I'm talking more about 
this is not a scenario of like abuse or emotional abuse or psychological abuse or any of those things. This is a scenario of like, I'm feeling hurt. And if the only two options are like either I'm broken or they need to be broken, like it doesn't actually help often in the healing process because like that now, like what's wrong with them? Like now that's still thinking about and spinning on and putting a lot of emotional energy into like that loss, but in a way that's maybe, you know, now it starts to like leak into resentment potentially. Sure. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And we've talked many times and a lot of other people much more, like much more intelligent than me have talked about resentment, but you know, resentment is a weight that we tend to carry that starts to poison our own kind of personal well. And it is something that begins to like create a, a weighty sense for yes. us as, yes. <laughs> as we try to move yep. through Agreed. life. Agreed. Agreed. Um, do we need to take a break? Well, I, you know, here's the thing. I, you know, uh, we've been talking for a half an hour and I'm actually kind of fascinated. So what I'm thinking we should do, here's what I'm thinking. We've never done this really officially. But I'm, I thought that this was going to be like, a, you know, bing, bang, boom. But I'm in it to win it. I think we should do a two-parter. I think we should is continue. That, is that because we don't have time or because you are on a tight schedule tonight, Jeremiah? What the hell's the matter with you? <laughs> why, why are you going to try to out me like that? I'm trying to do something for our fans. And you're going to just, just, I should just erase this. I should just erase this. You edit this out. That's fine. <laughs> But yes is the answer. Yes. <laughs> how much time you got left, Jeremiah? I'll let you know how quickly. I've got <laughs> another, like, I've got, like, I, I got to get moving. Unfortunately, I was late today. Okay. So I'm saying we make it a two-parter because it, stop laughing at me. <laughs> I mean, let me really do a service to our fans. And we'll <laughs> I mean, I was trying something, okay? Yeah. I mean, I'm not gonna lie, it's more entertaining to call you out, so I might as well. Forget you know. it, forget it. I've been on, I can't even, <laughs> I swear. Yes, I've gotta get moving. I was okay. late today. Well, then if you to our millions moving. of fans, I was late. So I was saying if we could finish this up in the next few minutes, that'd be <laughs> great. And then we do our continuation next week. Jeepers, creepers, you are brutal. <laughs> Can you give me? How much time can you give me? I give you five more minutes. Oh, yeah, I don't got enough for five more minutes. Uh, like, yeah, I got way more than five more minutes. Okay, can I do five more minutes then? Just yes. to finish up this part? Okay. Yes, we can do so, five more minutes of this part. Then okay. we're, because we've been talking this time, we're not going to take a break. I no, have a more natural two. ending point then for part two. Okay, okay. so Excellent. that's, if you can if you can humor me. How very So, um, another very common, so this like leads into like, and again, I'm saying these things like, these are normal things that happen during heartbreak. This is not me being like, how dare you get in black or white thinking? How dare you obsess? I'm saying like, no, like these are expected things to happen as part of being human. Yes. There's nothing wrong with you. Expect these things might happen if you have your heart broken. Correct. Right? So I want to be very clear. So like another common thing that we experience during heartbreak is emotional dysregulation, right? So one moment when we're feeling heartbroken, we're dancing in our underwear to I will survive. And the next re like the next minute, we're screaming and we're breaking shit and we're crying. And we're writing an angry text that we delete 16 times and maybe send it or not send true, it, depending true. on how much All is wine so someone true. may or may not have drank. 
Yes. Right. So emotional dysregulation, meaning like people will experience like a heightened sort of like up, down, up, down. And that's not everybody. Right. Things that I'm saying, some of this will apply to some people, some of but these are just common responses. And so that that emotional dysregulation can also mean that sometimes we behave a bit out of character meaning that we may not always behave like our best selves when our hearts are broken. So for instance, we can send a very like, I love you, I miss you so much, like you're the light of my life. And then maybe we don't hear back what we want or someone, then we turn around and we go, you're the worst, you're such a piece of shit. I knew that you were terrible when I went and visited you on that vacation. Like we might guilt people we might try to convince them to love us and do things that feel actually kind of humiliating later on when we think back on them like we might grovel we might beg right and again i say this because like that has a lot to do with just like literally from like a, a neurological emotional framework perspective you really aren't quite yourself right there's a lot of heightened emotions that are coming that are changing our maybe decision-making processes <laughs> yes this, <laughs> like, listen i have i've literally been there i've literally been that guy who's like watching a movie and i'm like enjoying it and be like that's right i don't need you anymore i'm doing great and then all of a sudden that like it could be a comedy and then you know they would like hug each other and i'd be like oh miss i just wish we were hugging right now and then just like this like up and down up down it's just a mess in the same moment like it it, and those moments sometimes emerge where i'm like (laughs) like in the center like laughing and crying at the same time crazy it's a mess it's a mess and one of the things we'll talk about on apparently the part two we're going to be how you know what (laughs) is about about how to is about how how do you let yourself be messy right because it is that is part of kind of the healing process is you're going to be a mess and you're going to be a little mess for a while. This so one of the last things before we go that I would say, like, what is another kind of common experience of just normalizing heartbreak and what it can look like is like a kind of a, a part of that emotional dysregulation standpoint. Desperation is a common feeling that people can have. And when we feel desperate, we do things that we wouldn't normally do. Right. right. So like just we we do. And desperation feels terrible. Right. It's a terrible feeling. And like, <laughs> it really is gross. I don't have a better word for it. No, I'll tell you, it's a gross. It's gross in two ways. Like you feel bad doing it and you feel bad when you see it. You know what I mean? Like, oh, yeah, it's just like, oh, oh, when somebody's really being, yeah. you know, it's it, and it, it breaks my heart for that person, makes you uncomfortable. Right. And then when you've done it, you're like, oh, that wasn't I wasn't that wasn't my best moment. Right. Well, and that's the thing, right? Heartbreak is an evolving sort of experience someone might have. So like someone might feel more desperate in the beginning of a heartbreak to like get somebody back or to like have something change. And then part of the rest of their heartbreak, like part of their like, then they start to feel also ashamed of that. And then that's like mixed in with the heartbreak too, of like how they behaved. It's just a mess. Yes. So I, I just say that I, but if we talk about desperation, like desperation often comes from a place of fear, right? Fear of facing potential pain or loss. And I always like to remind people, remember, your mind is constantly trying to protect you from pain, right? Like, why do we sometimes behave the way that we behave around like things we don't want to lose? Well, because it's adaptive, right? Like, your mind does not want you to experience pain. <laughs> and right. it'll do sometimes very useful things to protect you from pain. And sometimes 
things that make you feel insane to try to protect you from the experience of pain. And a lot of times these things are not always within our conscious control. And that is part of healing from heartbreak is also like trying to find some self-compassion for like, I'm a mess. And that's to be expected because it hurts. Give yourself a little grace. Give yourself a little grace. My mind's kind of going a lot of different places and trying to both sort through this and also try to protect me from the pain that I'm feeling. And it kind of like puts the system on fritz a little bit. Truth, Doc. I know everyone, Jeremiah has to go. He has an important train. They have to go pick someone up from the bus. Okay. He has to go get his eyebrows threaded. How very so, dare you? I've whoa. never done that. <laughs> we will. You're that. savage. Part You're a savage. <laughs> Don't tell you anything ever again. <laughs> I mean, it's such a way. It out. <laughs> and I want to say, like, thanks for doing everything, Doc, for you do for so many people. And now I don't want to say it. <laughs> you don't need to say it. I'm going to say okay. it. Just this is just part one. Listen. Although, just in case people don't listen to part two separately, if you're, like, really struggling with heartbreak, as always, speaking of things we often say, like, do seek more support or help. I will say, do also be conscientious of friends that you get support from, not because they might be not be great supporting around certain things, but sometimes some friends, you if you walk away feeling more amped up from them, as in, like, yeah, they are the worst, you know what I mean? Because a lot of times people are just trying to like give you support in the way that they think you might want but sometimes it actually maybe makes things a little worse so also be thoughtful about the people in your world that have a, a grounding presence and don't tend to amp you up agreed and even though you were a savage to me tonight and outed me in front of our millions of fans i just want to say thank you for all that you do for so many people doc i'm grateful for you i'm grateful to see you yes i've got to go to the bus station to pick up my friend and he's coming in earlier than i anticipated and i was late getting here and that's the truth i still appreciate you just the same and i'm excited to do part two of this because i've got more i want to say about this now that you got me into the nitty-gritty i might even do homework Nah, let's not go crazy but i might actually have more to say so thank you again doc good to see you remember everybody out there be kind to one another and uh we'll talk to you again next week bye doc bye This episode of the University of Pleasure was produced, directed, and edited by me, Jeremiah James. It was written by Dr. Tara Jansen and me, Jeremiah James. The University of Pleasure theme music was written by the incomparable Robert Feldstein. Additional multimedia support by associate producer Kyle Binkley. And please remember, we want to be as inclusive as possible of the diverse experiences of others here at the University of Pleasure So please email us your suggestions for topics that might be suited to you directly, questions, feedback, or just really great sex stories at contact at universityofpleasure.com. And if you enjoyed this episode, please remember to like, share, and subscribe to all of our social media.